Well, I appreciate everybody coming out this evening. Um, my philosophy is anybody can preach on Sunday morning, but it takes a real dedicated uh, individual to preach on Sunday evening for you know such a select audience. The other piece of this is, I think uh, most of you will find this very fitting. Um, I think I'm finding myself becoming a little bit older because I find that I am discovering new things for the first time less and less and finding that uh, things remind me of, of things in my past more and more. And so uh, I see things and hear things and and uh, actually smell is one of the most powerful triggers of, of memories. And it reminds me of, of places and, and people and, uh, and events and things from my past. And as we enter into this time of the year, uh, the alternate title for tonight's lesson is not a Christmas sermon. It's, uh, I wouldn't say even a New Year's sermon, but at this time of year when you get towards uh, New Year's, people tend to look back and start reflect on the year gone by and, and sometimes the decades gone by or even the century uh, gone by. You'll see lots of TV shows about the year in review or you hear it on the radio. And it's not always rosy. You look at both uh, the positive and the negative things. You, you look at the things that went right and the things that, that didn't go right. You look at your your previous investments of, of time, your previous investments of, of money and energy. And sometimes it's easy to slip into that, well, you know, I wish things had gone this way or the woulda, coulda, shoulda mentality about things. And I found a, a quote by Charles Dickens that I found uh, to be very apt in this case. And, and he wrote, reflect on your present blessings of which every man has many not on your past misfortunes, of which all men have some. Which is very, I think, insightful. Everybody has many blessings. Sometimes it just takes a while to see them. And we all have past misfortunes. Each of us have some. I think looking back, we really want to learn from the past. Not dwell on what could have been or let the past mistakes keep us anchored there. And prevent us from being fruitful in our work for the Lord. And I want us all to think that whether we had successes or failures in the past, ups or downs, it's those things that have shaped us and brought us here today. I can tell you that there are so many things that went into my being introduced to, to Kate and bringing me into the door of the Fredericksburg Church of Christ there in, in Spotsylvania County and coming to the Lord. And so just one of those things that change and I might not have been baptized and come to know the Lord the way I do today. So part of today's lesson 
or for today's lesson, I want us to think of three tenets in terms of dwelling on the past. Number one, don't get weighed down by regret. Don't get weighed down by regret. Number two, live like there's no tomorrow. And lastly, love as if your life depended on it. So if you're thinking about what is regret, well, dictionary.com defines regret as a feeling of sorrow or remorse for a fault, act, loss, or disappointment. And we may look back on the sins of our past and feel sorrow or remorse. And that's not all bad, but it's not intended to be a burden to us. We're not to look back on our sins and carry that around with us thinking that we are just unworthy of God's love. It's not to make us feel imperfect and stained. It's not meant to defeat us. It, it has a different purpose. And, and Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, in, in his letter, 2 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 8, he says, Even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. The sorrow that we feel for our past sins is intended to help us move forward in our relationship with God. It brings us earnestness, eagerness to clear ourselves. It brings us that feeling that it's separating us from God and we need to move on. With worldly sorrow, we don't move on. We dwell on the past and we let it bog us down. But with godly sorrow, we can be productive in him. And sometimes we feel that we're the only ones carrying around the, the weight that we are. We're the only ones that have offended God to the level that we have. I don't know about you, but I've heard several people say that, oh, I can't go into church. The, the very roof of the building will fall down on me if I go in there. And that comes from a feeling that I've committed so many sins, God can't take them away from me. How dare we limit God in that way? All things are possible through God. And Paul tells us in Romans 3, the righteousness given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not some, but all have sinned and fall short. So all of us have reason to feel sorrow for sinning against God. But verse 24 is the best part of all this. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All are justified.
And there's no limit to the hope. Because we know God has taken our sins from us through his son. And how far has he taken this sin? David tells us in Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, he has taken our sin away. So as we move forward from this very moment in time, let us not be weighed down by regret. But instead, learn from the past. Bring about that eagerness to please God, that earnestness, and apply those lessons to our life moving forward. Which brings us to my second point for tonight. Live like there's no tomorrow. Now, I don't mean to go out there and take up skydiving and, you know, cliff jumping and, you know, live a life of craziness, living like there's no tomorrow. Don't do anything illegal, irresponsible. I'm not saying go out and sell everything and spend all of your money today because tomorrow's gone. What the scripture says is that tomorrow's not promised to us. So we have an obligation to the Lord today. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is telling the crowd the parable of the rich fool. And he's warning them that if you're rich, you have an obligation to be rich towards God. But there's another message in the parable. And this is from Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. And here's Jesus telling them the parable. And he says, the, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear, tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The rich man had a great harvest. And he thought he'd have many years to enjoy it. So he built bigger, bigger barns, thinking he could live a life of ease. But God said, tomorrow's not promised to you. This very night, your life's going to end. And I know that we've all had friends and family taken from us. Far too young, far too early. According to our plans, we've had family go that we weren't ready for them to go. But all things happen according to his plan. Because his thoughts are so far above our thoughts and his ways are so far above our ways. And how many of us have wished we could have one more moment to tell a loved one how much they meant to us. And going back to our earlier point, let's take the moments that we have now 
to act on being about our Father's work. Today may be the only day you have to ask someone to church. Today may be the only day you have to demonstrate kindness to someone or peace or patience. Today may be the only day that you can demonstrate God's love for them. Are we going to act on that? Or think that, oh, we can go, we can do that tomorrow. We can ask them to church next week. Does anyone else get caught up in the heat of moment of work or school or the things they've got going on? Or just me? And things tend to move so quickly these days. I was thinking the other day, boy, everything seems to be a mouse click or a switch of a finger on a smartphone away today. You can get whatever you want instantly. You can even just send an emoji to Domino's and they send you a pizza. But we need to remember who's in control of all things. In James in chapter 4 of his letter, starting verse 13, he writes, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And for those of us that have been a Christian for a little while, might know better than new Christians that it's often called walk with Christ. It's a journey, not a destination. And the walk takes a while, especially when trying to develop the fruit of the Spirit within us. And as defined by Galatians chapter 5 and verses 2 and Three, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I say on that walk towards maturity, that walk towards being a Christian, boy, trying to put all those fruits together in, in one good day, is hard. Especially going back to the earlier point from Romans where all of us fall short. And the devil conspires around us to trip us up. Because he prowls around, like the scripture says, like a roaring lion. Because we belong to Christ. The lost are already his doesn't require any of his energy. None of us are perfect, but each day we should live to make ourselves more like Christ. Because as Kevin pointed out this morning, no one knows the day, no one knows the hour, but God himself when the judgment will come. So live like there's no tomorrow. And the last point I want to cover is love like your life depended on it. 
The Sadducees and the Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up and asked him in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And what did Jesus mean by love? Is he talking about that feeling of affection you get for somebody else? Brotherly love? The love Jesus here describes is the agape love, which requires action. It's not a feeling, it's an action. God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to die and take away our sins. And that is a wonderful gift that God gave to us. And in thankfulness, we should love God in return the same way, with that agape love, with action. And part of that love is to live with the fruit of the Spirit within us, as we discussed earlier. In 1 Corinthians, there's the famous segment, chapter 13, talked about love, and you hear it quoted at weddings a lot, and people use it in the context of amorous love. And I'd like to read it but I'd like you to shift the context of your mind and think of it in terms of taking action in someone else's best interest. Beginning in verse 1, If I speak in the tongue of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in a, as in a mirror, and then we sh shall see face to face, for I know... In part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The love Paul is talking about here, Jesus referred to earlier, requires us to have action. We act through our faith to demonstrate this love. We must act to do what is in others' best interest. We must put ourselves last, put aside our desires, daily take up our cross and follow after Jesus. And if you read through the Gospels, we have the perfect example of how Christ worked to help countless people around him. And how many opportunities do we have on a daily basis to help those around us? Is there someone that's shut in that we can visit? Someone who's lonely and that could use a card or a phone call? Someone need a ride to the store or help around their house? The opportunities out there are endless for us 
to demonstrate our love. And when Jesus' disciples asked him, who is my neighbor? Jesus told them the parable of the Good Samaritan. When I was a kid, I never understood, you know, what a Good Samaritan was. I thought a Samaritan was somebody that helped people. And now I understand the context of what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Because there was so much animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And here Jesus gave them the example of somebody they thought was incapable of acting in God's best interest. Starting in verse 30, Jesus tells them a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. On Thursday night, we're going to celebrate the new year. And as every other year, a lot of people are going to get together, are going to make resolutions. Most of those will get broken within the first couple weeks of the new year. And so as we go into the new year, I'd like to reflect on tonight's lesson about looking back. The first point was don't get weighed down in regret. We can learn from our past mistakes, our past sins, but in context of moving forward with our walk with Christ. Live like there's no tomorrow. Don't wait for tomorrow, take action today. And love like your life depends on. Because it's that loving thankfulness for God that will keep you in Christ. And so the message is yours. If anyone has a need, come forward as together we stand and sing.